Welcome to the Faith in Maine podcast. I'm Katie Clark, your host. We are sharing stories of life and faith and ministry across our 58 churches, 18 summer chapels, Camp Bishopswood, three Jubilee centers, and ministries that make up the Episcopal Diocese of Maine. As we continue with the theme of Connect, we'd like to share with you a conversation with the bishops of Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. This discussion was recorded at Maine's spring training event on Saturday, May 14th, and features the Right Reverend Thomas J. Brown, Bishop of Maine, the Right Reverend Dr. Shannon McVeigh Brown, Bishop of Vermont, and the Right Reverend A. Robert Hirschfeld, Bishop of New Hampshire. to ask each bishop in turn, so why is it important to have discussions with each other and explore a relationship together? And I'm going to begin with Bishop Shannon. I hope she's had a chance to catch her breath after her prior engagement, but uh, uh, Bishop Shannon, can you answer that question for us? Sure, I can. Thank you. So for the last seven months, I guess it's, I guess it's been seven months. It seems probably actually a little bit longer than that. Bishop Brown, Bishop Hirschfeld, and I have been meeting formally to ponder the opportunities for collaboration that have presented themselves to us. It's taken time to know each other and to hear our hopes and concerns for our respective dioceses. And I will say though, that we're not the only ones in the church having this conversation. And likewise, there should be more dioceses who are curious about how this time in the life of the church has urged us to consider how we can build our capacity to participate in God's mission. And even though Episcopalians love to have processes and have even our liturgies mapped out perfectly for us, <laughs> there isn't a formal process in the Episcopal Church for what we're doing. And so we hope that our collaboration will help us leverage resources to strengthen and support the ministries of our faith communities, help us to achieve greater efficiency and increase stewardship of our financial resources through shared services, operations, technology. But there are so many forms our collaboration might take. And I do wanna also say that you might have uh, also heard that last summer, I announced that the Diocese of Vermont is facing financial unsustainability. That has certainly been a motivator for me and the leaders of our diocese to explore the future to which God is calling us. But I wanna be clear that we're not seeking collaboration only to solve our budget issues. I'm gonna say that one more time. <laughs> We are not seeking collaboration only to solve our budget issues. We are seeking collaboration because we believe that God is calling us into deeper relationship, and we want to explore those possibilities faithfully and carefully. I appointed a task force of lay and clergy leaders with diverse expertise and perspectives to consider how new models of ministry and new collaborative relationships might offer our diocese ways to discern our future. And this is some of the work that I started as I made that announcement. And, and as we enter into this 
uh, conversation about collaboration. And the members of this group that I call together are the Task Force for Hope Revitalization, Innovation, Vision, and Efficiency. We call them Thrive. And they've been gathering as a whole and in three work groups, focusing on financial sustainability, missional vitality, and governance and collaboration. They were charged with making recommendations that would not only help us adopt changes, which will support our sustainability and flourishing, but also put us in a place where we will be good partners for collaboration. Thrive will make their recommendations in mid-June. But whatever we do, we'll take prayer, experimentation, relationship building, and creativity. We don't know how our formal three diocese relationship will look, but we are working together to create a thoughtful and faithful process for this journey, which continues to unfold. And I think I speak for my brother bishops when I say that I'm trying my best to hold it all lightly as we listen to the Holy Spirit and rest in the knowledge that we cannot fully control where we will go, but we will go together and want to widen the circle of people considering how collaboration can enliven our diocese. Thank you, Bishop Shannon. I appreciate that. So Bishop Rob, what's your take on this? Um, you know, why is it important to have these conversations and to explore this relationship together? Thanks, Sarah. And thank you, Bishop Shannon, for teeing this up. And, and I'm just so, I just wanna say and, and be on this recorded record here to say, I just am so grateful, Bishop Shannon, for your courage, for uh, stepping out in faith and um, articulating what is um, seven months ago, however long it was ago. Oh no, more, it was, it was July. So, and we're almost into June. So <laughs> in some ways it seems like just yesterday, in some ways it seems like it was a long time ago. Um, but I just want to say thank you, and I'm, I consider myself just so utterly blessed to be geographically sandwiched between these amazing individuals and these dioceses of Vermont and Maine. Um, so I don't want to be glib um, to answer your question why this is important, I, I, but I'll say because the Bible tells me so. Um, I find myself praying this Easter tide a lot uh, as we are uh, facing in the world so many um, closures or closed doors or impediments to God's mission. And the gospel is the resurrection is first known to those first apostles to the apostles, Mary Magdalene and Mary and Salome is first known by the opening of a sealed, of a sealed tomb. Um, that's the first hint that something is up, that what was closed is suddenly open. Um, then Jesus shows up, uh, Jesus shows up in a locked room where people are kind of in a claustrophobic, airless, uh, fear-smelling room. And suddenly he breathes not shame or fear, but uh, peace and forgiveness and new life upon them. Um, I sort of joked like this is a panic. This is, you know, having to move from one Zoom meeting that was constrained and tight 
to a bigger one is kind of like a 21st century um, Pentecost moment. It's interesting. Do you remember remember Matthias, who when when they realized that they only had 11 disciples, but for some reason they had to have 12 because that's what the institution said. So they draw 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 straws and they do the the thing, and then they choose Matthias. And now they have the complete 10, it, the, the, the process is fitting, it works, it's orderly. And then what happens? Pentecost, making everyone an apostle, making everyone a disciple, making everyone have access to God's mission and presence. And we don't hear about Matthias ever again. Uh, I, I feel like that's what's happening here. Um, I remember that wonderful story of Thomas Merton, who's running errands for the monastery in Louisville, Kentucky. And he goes there and he's, I think he just feels so holy because he's a monk. This is what he writes anyway, that he's in a sort of a, a sense of some kind of sanctified cocoon. And then suddenly he realizes in the midst of that marketplace on the corner of Fourth and Walnut on whatever it was in March in 1957 or 58, he realizes he loved all these people and that they were a part of him and he was a part of them. And then he says, it was like I was awaking from a dream of separateness. I was awaking from a dream of separateness. Um, it's interesting that the corner of 4th and Walnut is no longer 4th and Walnut, but it's now, now named after Muhammad Ali. Uh, and as we know, Thomas Merton became very much engaged in the civil rights movement. I think he would rejoice at that moment where there is a historical plaque um, is now named after this poet who happened to be a boxer. Um, and one day, one last story, one when, when um, Muhammad Ali was speaking at Harvard at all places, the students were saying, poem, poem, give us a poem, give us a poem. And he gave, I think, one of the shortest poems record. He simply said, on record, he said, not me, we. And I think it's waking up from this dream of separateness. It's coming into a deepened relationship across the three dioceses that's going to empower and give us the wind, the Holy Spirit wind in our sails to move and to be a part of God's mission in a new way. So that was a little long. But um, thanks. Thank you, Bishop Rob. That was wonderful. Bishop Thomas, what are you thinking? I'm thinking uh, what I think all of you are thinking is we have um, two phenomenal bishops, one in Vermont and one in New Hampshire. Uh, but what I want to say is two things. One is about partnership. And the other is about who we are as Northern New Englanders. And I suspect that every single one of us uh, in this room today have been talking about or hearing about or praying about uh, partnership. And whether that is partnership with our local communities, uh, with our neighbors, whether it's partnering with another faith community, that we know that a great gift that God is giving us for mission right now uh, is to partner. And that's a message that I know the people of Maine uh, are really committed to. And um, we are exploring those at the local 
level. We're exploring those across uh, government, across uh, nonprofits, and certainly across our uh, churches. So if we're saying to one another in our local context that partnership matters and partnership is the future, it seems to me that uh, at another level, that that is this level across these three faith communities in three different states, that we have a chance to model that and to live that in another dimension. And then the second piece for me has to do with who we are as Northern New Englanders we have a whole lot more in common with one another, um, not just in terms of our identity as the Episcopal Church, but in some other ways too. We're really clear that we're different from Southern New England. And we love Southern New England, but they're not the same as Northern New England. And there are all kinds of ways in which uh, Vermont and Maine and New Hampshire, the people who live in this beautiful part of God's creation, um, we sort of get each other. Um, we're not the same. Uh, there are absolute distinctions, and we love those distinctions, but this feels like an opportunity to uh, lean into, to lift up the ways in which we are already um, quite connected. So those are two things that come to mind, in addition to the to the great mission thing that Bishop Shannon spoke about and the um, great biblical thing that Bishop Hirschfeld did. Thank you all. I'm, um, I think I'm up next. I'm Lisa Ransom, the president of the standing committee in Vermont. And it is historic and wonderful for all of us to witness these conversations, these historic conversations between our diocese and with and between the bishops in our church. Um, so this is a question for um, Bishop Rob. Bishop Rob, you and the other bishops here today often connect with other bishops in the Episcopal Church. You were recently at the House of Bishops and heading to General Convention and Lambeth this summer. And I wonder if you might be able to give us a glimpse into the conversations you're having with other bishops across the church about this particular collaboration and others that might be happening. Um, if you could tell us, are there, are these kind of conversations happening in other dioceses or is, or is this unique to Northern New England, to Vermont, New Hampshire and Maine? Thanks, Lisa. Thanks. And Lisa, I should just note, you, you are an example of uh, cross-border ministry as you, um, are a priest in the Diocese of Vermont and serve at uh, Dartmouth-Hitchcock Hospital in, in Lebanon, New Hampshire. So thank you for that, your, your presence and ministry there. Um, yes, these conversations are happening. They seem to be happening um, <clears throat> with greater frequency and volume than I can keep up with. But let me, let me just try to list what I know so far. Um, the first one of recent memory was between the Diocese of Western New York and Northwestern Pennsylvania. So Buffalo and Erie, if you can think of that. And I know the Diocese of Vermont um, welcomed Sean Rowe, who is now uh, a bishop who is sharing his time and they're, they're sharing him, those two dioceses. Um, so that's interesting because that's, those are two dioceses which were not ever together in the beginning. 
and they they straddle state lines. And when there are state lines, there's all sorts of statutory and legal and state laws that govern the, the governance of nonprofit organizations, including churches. So they are not merging, they are um, in relationship and they're sharing a bishop. Um, the diocese of Michigan, Western Michigan, is there a third diocese in there? They, they are now essentially one diocese. Um, Fond du Lac, uh, Eau Claire in Wisconsin. So we're moving across the upper Northwest uh, are beginning and having serious conversations um, uh, together um, uh, for what I think is more of like a un reunification. Cause I think there was, that was at one point a missionary uh, region or one of those dioceses was a missionary region of another, maybe Chicago. The retired Bishop of Chicago, Jeff Lee is serving the diocese of Milwaukee. And I think actually that's a third, there, there might be third. Thank you. Thanks for nodding, Thomas. Um, you uh, will hear, if you haven't already, um, the Diocese of Northern Texas is uh, looking to reunify with the Diocese of Texas. That is a vast piece of real estate. Uh, I thought Maine was vast, um, but that's, that's on a different order. And, um, you know, it's interesting to hear Bishop Shannon talk about how, you know, some certain financial practical realities sometimes provide some motivation and that's happened in the diocese of, of, of Texas as there was a Supreme Court case after the, the schism uh, in Texas. So some of the conversations are around shared episcopate, episcopate. Um, some are referring themselves as reunifications after a diocese was established. Um, on, on one level, it doesn't seem like there's any reunification here, but if you go deep enough in our history, if you go further enough back, you actually find that there was a time where these, this kind of splintered uh, glass of divisions and sealed walls and stones um, weren't there. There was an Eastern diocese at one point, which uh, incorporated Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire. I'm, I'm not sure Vermont was part of that. So if you go deep enough and long enough, even all the way back to that Pentecost moment, <laughs> and Jesus was always praying, oh, may they be one, may they be one. So that's a, that's a list of all that I'm aware of. Um, and we're in consultation with those. And we're all, you know, learning how to how to follow this path as we're walking it. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. I'm Margaret Porter. I'm the moderator of Diocesan Council here in sunny New Hampshire and very pleased to be part of this amazing event. Um, my question is for Bishop Shannon and it has to do with what this initiative is and what it isn't, what it could be. Um, as you've mentioned, you've all been talking together, the three of you for a while now, and the standing committees of all three dioceses have already met together. So the question on everyone's mind is, is this a merger? 
Bishop Shannon, can you address that question and share why or why not this should be regarded as a merger? Thank you so much. This is a great question. And of course, for some people, questions about merging have come up because you know it's a business model that first comes to mind when finances are involved. Okay. And many of you have heard that it's not- I'll talk to you about it afterwards. Oops, I'll hold on for a minute. Okay, there you go. So I've said several times, and you know, we are not seeking a merger. Vermont is not seeking a merger, and nor is Maine or New Hampshire. And here's why. As an artist, I have to say, uh, it is the least creative solution. And if we start there with merger, we cut off imagination and the inclusion of more voices and how coming together can support the flourishing of our diocese. Then mergers are costly legal matters, which become even more costly when you're talking about merging across state lines. You know, it's not like we're re reunifying. It would take considerable energy and money. And we would rather put that money toward better, more life-giving purposes. We can grow our capacity to be the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement in Northern New England without a merger. That's it. Thank you, Bishop Shannon. Um, and this question is for Bishop Brown. Uh, another thing that I think um, many of us have heard about is shared services. And um, I'm wondering if, if these shared services have happened, if you could give us some examples of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I first wanna say that um, when we use the word shared services, it's a word um, that I first heard in Maine. I think the various uh, financial leaders, our chief financial officers, the people who serve each of us in our dioceses who are responsible for overseeing the money part of our life. I think it was in that small group because the financial officers get together across the province of New England, where I first heard this um, phrase shared services. So we're not speaking about worship services. We're speaking about um, shared business uh, practices. So indeed, as Bishop Shannon just said, this is not driven primarily about money. Uh, and at the same time, there is a real stewardship aspect to this that feels God-given and feels like a mandate. The other thing I would say is that we need to lift up and celebrate, point to the fact that we are already doing a lot of this shared service work. So we are collaborating across our three dioceses to make sure that safe church policies and safeguarding happens. We are um, in the dioceses of Maine and New Hampshire. We share Katie Clark as the person who's leading communications in both places. And uh, we, we were a leader here, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, years ago in creating a disciplinary board for clergy uh, to serve all three dioceses. We just did that because we can just do that. And that's been in place for several years now and it's fantastic. And there are other parts of the church looking to us around this uh, tri-diocese 
disciplinary board to figure out how they can do the same thing in their own context. I, I think for me, the idea of shared services is about experimenting, trying some stuff on, uh, understanding that experimentation is one of the gifts of the spirit right now. Uh, and that we know that to be the church in the next generation, the next era is going to require us to be more efficient and uh, for us to be more effective. And anything that we can share, I think, is going to make us um, more able. Um, finally, I want to say something about staffing, because I know that there, there is understandable anxiety, like as soon as we sort of speak about this, well, what does it mean about the people who, who work and serve on our respective diocesan staffs. I think what it means is that there's always transition in every single diocesan staff, always. You know, people are um, have life happen to them and they decide to retire or they accept a new call. Uh, there is reorganization that happens from season to season. So whenever there is a staff transition in Maine or in Vermont or in New Hampshire, it seems to me that it could be an opportunity for us to talk about that. Um, so this person's retiring. Um, what does that mean in for the other two dioceses? Are there ways that one of the other dioceses could come alongside, or is there a way that we might imagine a new post? So, so that's that's a kind of specific thing. I wanted to make sure that we named that and talked about that. And finally, I would say that we we already have tremendous connection with our transition or deployment officers, um, and that is another place where this uh, collaborative sharing work is also happening. Thank you, Bishop. Uh, now, one of the questions that was sent in to us over the last couple of weeks, and again, thank you to those who have shared their questions with us. And if you have additional questions, put those in the chat. We'll get those to the bishops afterwards. One of the questions that came in was for all of the bishops, so I'll call in each of you in turn. You three have the somewhat un unenviable job of being bishops in what is called the unchurched belt. So the region of the country with the lowest rates of religious participation and church attendance in the nation. So what unique challenges do you think that provides the Episcopal Church in all three states? And I'm gonna start uh, with Bishop Brown, please. I think for me, this is, um, this is about trust. Um, and uh, this is very clearly uh, the work that Shannon and Rob and I have been doing together uh, for many months is about um, blessing um, each other with the gift of trust, uh, with each other's stories. Uh, it has not always been easy. Uh, and I think that is the nature of uh, life and the nature of faith, that there's a dying and a rising aspect to this. But over these several months, there is a regard and a respect and a trust among us that is extremely powerful. Uh, and so um, as we think about the future of a church in northern New England, um, one of the things that we are doing is that we have decided to name one another as assisting bishops in each other's dioceses beginning in September. This means that I'm gonna name Rob and Shannon as assisting bishops in Maine. Thank you, uh, Bishop Shannon. 
I think I think my friend got a little bit uh, excited about our, our announcement because we'll go back to the question about um, being an unchurched state after I I add some more to what uh, Bishop Brown has just said. And you know, one of the I'm really excited about this announcement today because as we imagine together, we are creating a space to practice creativity with the guidance of the Holy Spirit and learning and exploring where we might give up control and try new things. So in naming each other uh, assisting bishops, um, you know, there are things that can happen that, um, you know, we want to be stated. That means we've got to do something about the thing that we've stated. And so that will open up all kinds of creativity and exploration. And I'm excited about that. Wonderful. Thank you, Bishop Shannon. And Bishop Rob, do you want to uh, to speak to that the what the other two bishops have just spoken to? Bishop Rob, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. here. <laughs> Still learning what the mute button is. Um, uh, I'm looking. I'd like to get back to that other question, but first, let me just uh, go on with this this whole notion of the assisting bishop. Exciting news, because um, I think that is that is actually groundbreaking. Uh, I don't think that's been done in the other list of dioceses that um, that we've been talking about. Um, I, I think it's important, and I've been uh, urged to just make sure we're clear about what an assisting bishop is. The canons are both clear about this, and the terminology makes it a little fuzzy, but let me, let me just try to um, be as clear as possible so that we can avoid confusion. Um, canon 3... Section 12, Article 9, M, <laughs> you can look it up if you're so inclined, covers assisting bishops who serve at the invitation of the ecclesiastical authority. The ecclesi ecclesiastical authority is the bishop, and in the absence of a bishop, of a sitting bishop, that's the standing committee. This is different from an assistant bishop, assisting bishop, assistant bishop. Assistant bishop is described in Canon 3, 12, 5, etc. And that requires action by each of the, by the respective, um, it would require action of our respective diocesan conventions. Assisting bishops, which is what we're contemplating and we're, what we've just announced, teach and preach and provide sacramental rites only. And we're looking forward to exercising our ministry in ways that will allow us to get to know each other's dioceses and to learn more about the, the Jesus movement, the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement in our region, and how we might be able to collaborate with each other with that, that love and knowledge of each other uh, for the sake of God's mission. So we are not assistant bishops, we're assisting bishops. It uh, is a it's a part of the canons which allow us to be uh, nimble and flexible to experiment, and that's what we're doing. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bishop Rob. 
And so now we're going to pivot back. And so Bishop Shannon, I'll, I'll pose that other question again. Uh, so we, we can also speak to that. So the, what do you think about any unique challenges that it poses in being a bishop in what is known as the unchurched belt in the country, the region with the lowest rates of religious participation and church attendance in the nation? So Bishop Shannon. You know, places, uh, apparently people live on close to mountains, <laughs> You know, what do they want to do inside of a church building on a Sunday morning or at any other time of the day or the week? Um, so, you know, that, that's sort of a phenomenon of places that have just beautiful landscapes. People want to be out there enjoying nature and, you know, they feel that it's a spiritual thing for them. And that's understandable because it is. I mean, I'm looking out the window and seeing oh, a flowering tree and Lake Champlain and the Adirondacks and you know I don't know I I'm, I'm going to stay on the zoom though because it's good to be with you all but that that's a challenge you know how do we talk to people that would rather be outside and I think that the good part of that challenge is that it, it calls us outside of our buildings as well but you know and I have to say I'm from the midwest and you know church has a different place in in the culture there. And so when I heard unchurched, yeah. Yeah, I knew that it wasn't, you know, a priority that people are playing soccer and, you know, taking their kids to soccer on Sundays. That's not the case here. It's, it's different. You know, it's in some ways, I think the challenge for us is to become more clear about who we are as followers of Jesus, because, you know, and, and it sort of brings us back to some real basics when um, I remember talking to um, students at Rock Point School, our, our high school, which is you know down the path for me, and I can't just assume that people know our terms or even care about them. And so, what are the you know it? So that challenge that assuming that people know, you can't just say, you know, I preached a sermon um, on Sunday. You have to say things like. I gave a speech about Jesus <laughs> on Sunday and just make it real basic. And so, I mean, it, it's a challenge that in some ways I'm thinking is good because we get so distracted um, by our structures sometimes and, and forget really what church is. It's not buildings. It's not, you know, just our institution, but it's people, you know, ministering and serving because they love Jesus. So that that's a challenge because people don't know. And I do think the other thing, and, and not to be too long, is that I've noticed is that, you know, in places like this, when nature is such an important part of people's everyday lives, um, they're actually surprised and pleased to hear that creation care is really important. Um, to the church or that um, justice issues and racial justice issues are really important to the church. And, you know, so th there's a real space for us, I, I believe in this, you know, just the way that we've had these racial reckoning that's come and people want to have conversations about what do we do about race and what do we do about um, nature and 
you know, fixing how we've um, damaged things. So that's, it's, a, it's an opportunity and it is not easy and we need to not assume a place of privilege. Thank you, Bishop Shulman. And what you said is so, uh, so forward thinking when, when you mentioned even just looking outside and, and seeing beautiful scenery. And I know that many of the folks on this call, I know the bishops especially, have gone through that recent study that came out from the Episcopal Church and Ipsos, which is a market research firm. And one of those findings that some people found surprising, which is almost half of Americans found being outdoors or in nature, the most spiritually fulfilling activity, more so than prayer sometimes. So is that a challenge? Is it an opportunity? So thank you for naming that, Bishop Shannon. Um, and, and all of the other things. So uh, Bishop Rob, I wanna turn it back to you to be able to answer that question as well. What unique challenges does it provide uh, to be a bishop uh, in the Episcopal Church in our Northern New England area? Bishop Rob. Thanks. Thanks, Katie. Um, I don't know if I could add more than what Bishop Shannon so eloquently said, um, except I, I, um, the, the issues that the world is facing are so dispiriting, and I'm finding our culture, um, even, even that, the, the culture of our society infecting the church, which I, I experience as rather joyless and shaming and uh, depressing, <laughs> And I continue to go back to what, well, why church? Why, why is this? Why am I in this project? And it's because Jesus continually points us to joy and forgiveness. Um, uh, I cannot enter the conversations. I find myself, I, I have a hard time entering the conversations or the work of um, restoring creation, restoring, or not even restoring, because it wasn't even there to begin with, uh, racial harmony, or to work for, you know, seeing each other across differences of race and, and ethnicity and class, unless I'm first assured of God's love, because I am a total screw-up. My theological anthropology is snake belly low, I am utterly dependent upon the love of everyone on this screen and the body of Christ that you represent. And I, I find that the world isn't, doesn't have that um, assumption of God's grace and love. And therefore, it's more joyful, joyless, and it's finger pointing, and it's shaming, and it's dividing. And the message of Jesus is about something else. Um, we're in the granite state. This is, this is hard soil. Um, we're, you know, the word I was recently introduced to, we're granitic. <laughs> this is granite. And sometimes you go in the White Mountains and you'll see a big sign saying, if you're going up this trail, know that this is the harshest climate in North America. People have died going up this trail. And I feel like this is our mission field. And I'm up for the adventure uh, because I think it points to life. I saw someone's screen here quoting Irenaeus uh, that, the, that the glory of God is a human being fully alive or a fully alive human being. It can be translated either way. And Irenaeus goes on to say, you don't become fully alive until you're in the community of God, in the community of followers of, of Jesus. And 
I think we've got an amazing opportunity to be, forgive the analogies, but we're like lichen, uh, flourishing, getting our nutrient from the granite and the air and God's grace. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, I feel like we're actually in a privileged place to be in New England in the unchurched area rather than the place of scarcity and, and um, all the rest. Beautiful. Thank you, Bishop Rob, so much. And thank you to Bishop Brown and to Bishop Shannon and to Bishop Rob and to all of you who have joined us on this gloriously beautiful day in all three states. Yet we are all inside, except for a few of us. Um, you know, as we near the, our time um, to close. So again, thank you to the three bishops for being with us uh, and taking time out of your schedules. We know that your weekends are particularly busy. Thank you, thank you to all of us, all and you who joined us here and walked alongside us as we had some technical difficulties. And so thank you also for putting your question questions in the chat. We are capturing those and we will send those back out to all three bishops so they know what bubbled up for folks uh, during this session. So thank you, thank you again. And to close us out, I am going to pass us over to the Reverend Chris Connolly for a final prayer and dismissal. So Chris, if you could unmute yourself, that would be wonderful. Well, the prayer is embedded in my dismissal. Let's put it <laughs> Rejoice, be glad, and give thanks for the gathering of the three dioceses of Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine in a time of spring training, a sharing of ideas and concerns. Now, as the people of God, go in peace and in love to serve the Lord. Alleluia. Alleluia. Thank you for listening to the Faith in Maine podcast, brought to you by the Episcopal Diocese of Maine. If you like this podcast, please leave a review and rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That helps us spread God's word even further. Thank you.